Wisconsin's true home team is Pella Windows and Doors of Wisconsin. Now featuring savings up to $2,500 off an installed patio door, up to $3,000 off an installed entry door, but only through May 31st. Set your free consultation now at PellaWI.com. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give us a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. Let's get started. I, I think that the best way to handle this, and I have started this radio program too many times after that the day after or hours after another one of these massacres, these horrific shootings and seeing the reaction and the political pandering and the virtue signaling that you have. And I, I want to share some of my thoughts and then then we'll open up the phone lines and you can react to what I have to say or, you know, offer your own thoughts as well. Of course, we all know what happened yesterday. Had an 18 year old who walked into a, a, an elementary school and killed 19 children in, in a classroom as well as two adults uh, before he, he was ultimately killed in a gun battle with authorities. We'll have more updates coming up at the bottom of the hour. And, you know, as as might be expected, you've got all the usual suspects that are rushing to, you know, offer their, their thoughts. The attorney general of the state of Wisconsin says, OK, well, what we we need the legislature to take action. We, we need more more gun laws. More on that in just a minute. I, I said earlier I had my wife had the view on of all things this morning while I'm eating breakfast. And, you know, Joy Behar is on it. It's you've got to stop voting for a Republicans. This is it. It's all the Republicans' fault. To which you say th- th- these kind of conversations, frankly, aren't helpful and they aren't constructive. To which I think here, here's where we start. The, the first line of argument, and you heard this after the Water Street shootings a couple weeks ago, is you have these politicians that come out and say, okay, well, we need more gun laws. And, and my challenge is always. Okay, what specific gun laws do you want? And let, let's talk about those. You know, what specific gun laws do you want that are going to keep, you know, the firearms out of the hands of the people who are going to perpetrate these things? And let's, let's start from that basic premise. First of all, people talk about background checks. Well, the, 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 the crazy yesterday, the, the kid, the 18 year old, he passed background checks. So you can talk about, well, we want more background checks or we want to close the gun show loophole or things like that. None of that would have made any difference because he was able to legally ob- obtain the, the firearm. So, okay, you've, you've, you've got that there. What, what, do you, what do you want? Do you want to um, say, okay, we think you should have to be 21 before you're able to purchase firearms? Now, I think that's, I think that that's maybe something that pe- reasonable people could consider and agree on. I mean, raising the age from 18 to 21. I don't know that that necessarily changes anything, but at least in that particular case, the kid who was involved in the shooting yesterday would not have been able to legally purchase guns. And I think you can make an argument that, all right, if you got to be 21 year old, years old to drink, maybe you should have to be 21 before you can um, buy a, a firearm. I think that's an issue. You can say, all right, do we need to limit the size of magazines? Um, you know, the, the amount of, you know, bullets that you can have in a particular magazine. And, and I think that's a, I've always believed that. That's a reasonable conversation to have. I don't know if it changes anything because the way guns are constructed, you know, you can eject a magazine and put the next magazine in very, very quickly. So I don't know that it changes anything, but I, I, I think that that's a, a fair conversation to have. Do you need the high capacity magazines that are are out there and and then there's the point that i have been raising repeatedly for the life of me and i guess this is where i would start and you'd you'd like to have some on the left on board on this as well because i I think one of the places you got to start is let's identify the, the crazies who shouldn't be able to legally purchase firearms in the first place. Because what is one of the things that we almost always, not always, but almost always see when we have one of these mass shooting incidents? And let's just talk about what happened in Buffalo a couple weeks ago and what happened yesterday. You go back and you look at the shooter and everybody says, well, yeah, we 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 should have seen this coming. I mean, the reports are that the, the 18-year-old that was involved in this yesterday, it, 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 he's got like mass murderer written all over him, rarely attended school, threatened classmates, posting photos with guns, cryptic stuff that he put up on the Internet indicating 
I think in retrospect, that he was pretty much clearly signaling that he was going to intend to act out in violence. And this stuff was out there, just like the stuff with the guy in Buffalo was out there for all to see. You might say, well, Jeff, what do you mean for all to see? Well, as I was talking about over the last couple of weeks, I don't know about you, but every time I go on the Internet and I, I do a search or, or post something or other, if I'm looking for dog food or today I was looking for an, an adapter that extends down from your rain gutter. I, I, so I'm making this search to find something like that. I know for the next month I'm going to get pop-up ads telling me about all these rain gutter adapters that are there. So our, our activities are being tracked. If if they can tell when I'm looking for dog food on the Internet or a rain gutter extender, when, when somebody is out there posting stuff with pictures of themselves with with firearms and you know threatening classmates and things like that should not that be a red flag shouldn't we be able to say hey there's something weird going on here so maybe just maybe we can start to intervene and and find out oh, maybe this is somebody who shouldn't be able to legally buy guns so i mean i think we need to be more aggressive with all that but at the end of the day at the end of the day, I, I think a lot of this stuff is just going to be prophylactic. I, I'm not sure that it's going to actually be able to stop the, the crazy people unless we're able to like identify them early on and then start watching them to make sure that they, they don't act out. Now, the problem also is, as, as horrible as this is, and you cannot, there's no way, shape, or form that you can depreciate how horrible this is, it, it's still, given all the number of people in this country, it, it's these are isolated sort of circumstances that are out there. So then all, the issue is, because you've got one crazy out of millions of people, how how far do you go in restricting the rights of the millions and millions of people who would never dream of something like this just because you've got that one crazy that, that's out there? And, and that's where we all wrestle with these things. I mean, so when people want to talk about, well, we need more laws, we've got to do this, my question is always what? So our number, 855-616-1620, that is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. If If you want to talk about... Raising the age to legally purchase a firearm like this to 21, I think that's a fair conversation. I might be with you. If you want to talk about limiting magazine capacity, I think that's a fair conversation. I, I might, I, I might be with you on that. Background checks, well, oh, oh, okay, you know, closing the gun show loophole. I'm not sure that that's going to make any difference because most of the people who are involved in these just senseless acts of, of crazed violence, they're, they're people who have been legally able to purchase firearms. I am a big believer that we need to start tracking people more because, again, it's not a surprise a lot of times when you find out that the people who were involved in these shootings had been sending signals that pretty much anybody should be able to recognize that they were, in fact, dangerous, and maybe they should have been on people's radar screens in a big sort of way. But other than that... And then other than talking about, you know, in, increasing school security and things like that, there are limits as to what you can do. And it frustrates me, and I know it frustrates everybody out here. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. What do we do? Is there something we can do to prevent repeats of, of this and if so what would that be like i say i've got all sorts of ideas about stuff that I, I think i would hope that reasonable people could agree on but i don't know if it solves the underlying problem unless we're going to talk about trying to you know repeal the second amendment and confiscate guns in this country and then the question is because again one crazy person out of millions of gun owners acts out in that way is that the justification for that and and where where do you draw the line uh, it, it's a bad analogy but you got the crazy guy who you know kills all the people in the car at the Waukesha Christmas parade do we say that nobody can drive cars 8556161620 what do we do we discuss in a moment 8556161620 which is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text line i i do I do think that we need to be more aggressive in tracking these these potential shooters who are all over the Internet, sending all sorts of signals that they, they intend to do something, at least putting them on people's radar screen. I mean, I think that that's something that they can do. But all right, what, what 
What, if anything, do we do? 855-616-1620. And I do think there's some things that reasonable people could agree on. Maybe raising the age to purchase firearms from 18 to 21. I think that's a very reasonable thing. I think this whole discussion about magazine capacity is very, very reasonable. I'm not sure that at the end of the day it changes anything when you've got these crazed killers. But I I, I guess it, I think it's tough to argue, you know, why an average citizen needs a, a firearm magazine that contains 30 shots as opposed to eight or nine. Let's start with Megan in Milwaukee. Megan, you're first. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Thanks for having me on, Jeff. Sure. Um, so I, I'm a big, I, you know, I'm a, I have a concealed carry permit. You know, I'm an advocate of the Second Amendment. But I do think there are some real common sense changes that we do need to make. Um, we know schools are being targeted. And I think there's things legislatively we can do to help maybe more security for schools, et cetera. But one of the things I want to dovetail on was that raising the age from 18 to 21, which I do fully support. I look at, you know, with the 15-year-old Michigan shooter, his parents, you know, are currently being charged with that four counts yep. of involuntary manslaughter, yep. a 15-year felony for alleging criminal negligence and kind of showing there's some skin in the game that if you're going to have a child, you know, and that, that too, that child had similar... I don't want to say maybe necessarily similar, but there was that outcry yeah. for help, right? Yeah. That went completely, uh, mostly ignored. If the, well, or, um, or if the and, kid, and, I'll and take again, it one step further, Meg. If the kid is publicly demonstrating dangerous antisocial tendencies, <laughs> it, it should be, th- yeah. there, there should be red flags that people are, are looking mm-hmm. at this, starting with the mom and dad. I agree with you. And I just think that this might help put a little more pressure on raise the age to 21. And if you've got a a minor, you know, it's under 21 that does have, and if that doesn't change, that has a firearm, well, then you as parents, you're going to be held responsible, you know, by the state that you're in. I just, I think there are some things that we need to do. And I also think, like you said earlier, the politicians coming out, it's too divisive. This This is not getting anything done. You know, Congress does need to make some common sense changes. And again, as a as a you know Second Amendment advocate, there is more we could do. Yeah, exactly. No, thanks for calling me. And I think that's and that's now there are there are some people on the left who who want to demonize gun owners. Period. And unless I mean, here's the conversation: if you want to come out and call for the confiscation of firearms. Okay, then let's maybe we'll have that conversation, you know, after the press conference at the bottom of the hour. Because I mean, I'm getting a number of texts saying there's there's no reason that anybody should be able to own a, a semi-automatic rifle, you know, which and of course it's styled as an uh, as assault rifles, and so they say we, that's what we have to target on. Well, okay, maybe we can have that conversation now, given the fact that there are millions of them in existence. Are are you talking about coming in and, and confiscating? the weapons and because you have some psychotic 18 year old that acts out and uses this firearm together with other firearms i believe it's going to come out in 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 an antisocial fashion is that the justification for demanding that millions of people surrender you know their particular firearms and and that you know that that's a balancing act that's out there but i do think again there's reasonable things that we should all be able to uh, agree on to limit access or make it a little more difficult for the people that are inclined to act out in an antisocial, horrendous fashion, make it a little bit more difficult for them to get firearms. Now, are any of these things going to be absolute? Well, well, no, that, that's just the reality. And, and how do you balance that with the rights of legitimate law-abiding gun owners to be able to have access to, to firearms? And that's the balancing you have to have, but it's the conversation we have to have. I, again, though, I start with this idea of I'm tired of reading these reports. And, and again, there's this is what's out there today. You, you read the background on this shooter yesterday, and there's red flags all over that this was something. You know, you never know for sure that people are going to act out in this fashion. But there's all sorts of red flags out there. You know, if you wanted to pick the person who was most likely to be a mass murderer in that particular area, it, it would clearly be this guy. And nobody did anything. Nobody apparently was tracking him. And again, I don't understand. If you track me when I'm trying to order dog food, if you've got somebody that's posting pictures of themselves with firearms and is talking about how they want to act out as a master, as a as a shooter, and they're threatening their classmates, shouldn't that be on somebody's radar screen somewhere? We continue the conversation in a moment. 
855-616-1620. Ken in Greenfield. Ken, good afternoon. Good afternoon. How you doing? Well, tough um, day. This tough is day. a horrible event. Yeah. Um, you know what? You know what I've never seen is a school district go to, to the teachers or the curriculum and say, how many people would be willing here to carry a firearm to protect your kids in your daily course of the duty? And I, I, I'd be willing to bet at least there'd be at least 10% of the teachers would be willing to be armed during the school day. I mean, the only thing that stops these shooters is when they run into another person with a gun. And as soon as you can confront them, that's when it ends. Well, I mean, you could get volunteers well, to even come in. Well, yeah, I mean, well, thanks. Thanks for calling. I guess I mean, I, I say yes and no. You, you say, first of all, I, I, I am not opposed to allowing teachers who choose to and are appropriately trained to, to have to have guns. I'm not opposed to that idea. At the same time, I'm not sure that's a solution because, well, let, let's take the case of what happened yesterday. You had the shooter who ends up, once the police arrive, he barricades himself in and, and you, you, you get into a firefight. So I, I don't, don't know that the, the presence of the guns is necessarily going to be something that, that stops them. And I think what you really want to do is try to concentrate on figuring how to keep guns out of the schoolroom in the first place, as opposed to trying to, how, how to deal with it, you know, once it becomes a problem. You know, again, having said that, I'm a big... I am a big fan of, for example, having law enforcement uh, people and a police presence in the schools. You know, in some areas, Madison, for example, they don't want the cop. They think the cops are the problem. They think the cops are the bad guys. We don't want to have the cops in the schools, which I think is a mistake. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the program. The um, news conference by the various Texas officials is still being conducted. We're continuing to monitor that, but I think the, the 25 minutes or so that we carried gave you an idea of the information that authorities have about this. And again, we'll continue to keep you updated on new developments. Hey, if you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner 620. Sent out uh, several tweets, um, one of which has an interesting link to a story, I think. You know, regardless of your position on guns, can we all agree that we do need to do a better job at identifying potentially dangerously mentally ill individuals and then maybe intervening before those individuals act out? You, You would think that... That would be something, again, whether you're a conservative, liberal, Republican, or Democrat, we we could all agree with. Because as I was saying in the first hour of the program, one of the frustrating things to me is a lot of times when you go back and you you try to say, okay, what what happened here and, and who was the perpetrator, a lot of times the stuff, it's completely foreseeable because you have people that have expressed all sorts of comments and things on the internet you go oh, that that's really not a surprise now governor abbott in texas was saying well we, we didn't necessarily have some of these indicators uh, there's stories in the washington post and other outlets that have kind of gone into the background of the shooter that suggests that maybe there were a lot of things that people should in fact know but that's one of the questions that are out there i want to take on though the the elephant in the room now i started off this program by saying that when it when it comes to gun control measures i think a lot of times what frustrates me is people on the left choose to politicize this by saying we want gun control measures. And my question is always, okay, you know what? Because we already do have all these various laws that are in place. You know, when we have politicians say, well, we've had the shooting on Water Street. We, we want more gun control measures. My question is always, okay, explain to me what, what you want. And then explain to me how this would have stopped the shootings on Water Street or how this would have stopped the mass shootings. And, and I think, you know, maybe on the periphery, there's some things that you can discuss. I mean, should shouldn't should the the legal age for purchasing firearms be 21 instead of 18? And a couple people, when I said that, are texting me saying, "Well, that means you can't be in the military." Well, no. There's all sorts of access to weapons that you have in the military that you don't have as civilians. Civilians can't own bazookas. Civilians can't drive tanks. So the fact that you join the military. Yeah, and under that circumstance, yeah, maybe you get the machine gun if you go off to war, but that doesn't mean that you necessarily need it if you're roaming the streets of Milwaukee. So, I I mean, I I don't buy that as an argument. I think you can have a reasonable conversation about do you need to sell large-capacity magazines? And and I, I appreciate that that doesn't mean that somebody who 
you know, wants to engage in a, in a mass crime. I mean, I understand as a handgun owner myself of a semi-automatic pistol, I understand how quickly you can, you know, take a magazine that carries like eight or nine shots, bullets, and then, you know, switch it out. So I, I understand that that's not necessarily a, an ultimate solution. But, you know, do we really need to have magazines that have 30 bullets in them? I think those are fair sort of questions. But let, let's face it, that all kind of tap dances around the the ultimate issue because there's really not any gun control measure that you're going to be able to implement, in my opinion, short of what we're going to talk about in just a moment, that's going to stop that dangerously mentally ill person from walking into the school or walking into the the grocery store or whatever and, and shooting it up. All right. One of the things that arguably might do that, and this is where I want to start the conversation, has to do with the question of individual possession of semi-automatic rifles. Now, this is these are semi-automatic. These are these guns like the AR-15s and ones that are like that. They are not automatic weapons. They are semi-automatic weapons, which means that you have to pull the trigger each time you want to fire a shot. But you, you can you can pull the trigger really, really quickly. So they're not machine guns where you just pull the trigger once and, you know, it just keeps shooting till you, you know, release the, the trigger. You have to keep pulling the trigger. But admittedly, you can fire a lot of shots in a, a hurry. And admittedly, these guns look scary and when misused, have the capability of causing all sorts of carnage. So there's a lot of people out there, including probably the president, who don't think that you know people need to have these firearms. All right, I, now I sent out a tweet that kind of gives you the numbers on this. Here is the deal. Right, well, as of about a year ago, they estimate that in this country, there are 20 million plus semi-automatic, quote-unquote, assault-style assault firearms that are owned by Americans. 20 million, and that's of a couple years ago. All right, here is my question. Should we ban the individual ownership of semi-automatic assault-style firearms? Should we ban that? And if we do ban that, is it reasonable and is it realistic to then confiscate those firearms from the 20-plus million Americans who own them. Now, what happened in the mid-'90s, just to give you an example, Australia, following a mass shooting in the mid-'90s, Australia outlawed semi-automatic, quote-unquote, assault-style weapons. They they made it illegal for people to own them, and they started a, a buyback program which said Every Australian citizen who owned one of these firearms had to turn them in, and they ended up, it was a mandatory buyback program. They they had a commission that decided on what the value of the particular firearm was, and they paid it to the person, and if the person did not turn in their gun, they would then be subject to criminal prosecution, and then they started a firearm registration, things like that. Australia obviously doesn't have a Second Amendment, but... They claim that when they did this, they were able to get 650,000 of these type of firearms off the out of circulation. And gun violence in Australia is a fraction of what it is here. Now, here, we're not talking about 650,000 firearms. We are talking about over 20 million firearms. So let's tee this up. 855-616-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Should we ban the possession of assault-style firearms, semi-automatic rifles. And if we do that, are we? what are we going to do if people decide they are not going to give up their guns? Are we going to put, now I don't know, is that number going to be 10 million? Is it going to be 15 million? If people refuse to give up their firearms, are we going to put them in jail? Are we going to prosecute them? You know, should we make it illegal to possess this type of firearm. And if we do, let's live in the real world. How are we going to enforce that? And, and I raise this question because we, we can't stop we can't stop people from stealing cars on, on the streets nowadays. We have, you know, X number of homicides in the city of Milwaukee that we can't stop. So if we outlaw this type of firearm and you have 
I don't know, tens, 20 million. So let's say that a half of those people, those 10 million decide they're not giving up their firearms. Are we going to prosecute them? Are you going to put them in jail? Is that is that worth it? to try to prosecute, let's say, 5 or 10 million people who haven't given up their guns in the idea that we might be able to prevent, I don't know, some crazy shooter somewhere from getting involved in a firefight with cops after shooting up an elementary school. Is this a realistic suggestion? 855-616-1620. We discuss. 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I mean, let's talk about the elephant in the room, because when I hear people talk about we want more gun laws, and I, again, you, you're, you can you can kind of, you know, slide around the edges of this issue, but but let's let's face it, increasing the age to, to purchase a particular firearm from 18 to 21 or, you know, dealing with large capacity magazines and things like that, you, you can argue about the merits of that, but that doesn't solve the underlying problem. So... The idea is, should we, essentially, let's look at semi-automatic assault-style rifles, should we make the possession of them illegal? They did it in Australia in the mid-1990s. It was a mandatory gun buyback, and they got about 650000 off the out of the country, and gun violence is dramatically lower. Of course, in, in the United States, you got a Second Amendment, so that's a problem, and you have right now about 20 million-plus of these type of firearms that are out there. What happens if people refuse to turn them in? What, what, if it, what if it's only 5 million out of those 20 million? And I suspect it would be a lot larger. Are you, are you going to put those people in, in prison? Does that solve any sort of purpose? Is this even practical in this country? I mean, if we were, if we were starting from scratch, you can have a conversation about, gee, should we have individual firearm ownership and things like that? That's what differentiates America from like a lot of countries in Europe where it, it's never, it's just never been permitted in any sort of, of sense. In with, in with, you know, United States, it's completely different. Can you and should you say to the 20 million plus people who own these type of firearms, the overwhelming majority of whom are not using them for mass shootings? That's the point zero 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 one percent. Is that zero 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 one percent? Is that worth telling all the other people that you can't own this particular type of firearm? Let's start with Andrew. Andrew, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Hi. What um, do you think? I just wanted to give my opinion on the feasibility of the idea of a gun confiscation. Um, the main thing, I believe, is logistically, it's just it's not possible. With the sheer number of semi-automatic weapons in this country, there is just not enough law enforcement personnel in this country to, to safely and logistically pull off that type of maneuver. And on top of that, we don't have a federal gun registry in this country. Yes, mm-hmm. I know some states like California and New York have registries. But across the board, there is no registry. So realistically, you don't know where all of these weapons are. Right. Right. You, you know, plus one, one other thing to go with that. Oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. no I, I was going to say uh, to your point as well. We, we have laws, for example, that say felons can't possess firearms. We, we don't we, we don't put felons who are found in possession of firearms. We don't put them in prison for like mandatory minimum prison sentences. So if we're not punishing felons in possession of firearms, people who already can't own them, you mean you're going to as a practical matter, you've got the the family that uses their firearms, their their AR-15s for target shooting and deer hunting or whatever, and they refuse to turn them in, are we going to put those people in prison? It's just, I I just don't think it's workable in 2022 in the United States. I agree. Um, Just one other thing to go along with the idea of the confiscation is, think about it like this. The majority of law enforcement personnel in this country also privately own guns of all different varieties. Yeah to ask them to start knocking on their neighbor's doors and their brother's doors and going door to door to to take guns from their their communities when they would also have to give up theirs i just i just don't see it happening yeah no thank i i don't i I don't either just as a practical matter now if you know if you wanted to talk about say a voluntary gun buyback you know we'll offer people this much money to turn in you know this type of weapon or something you know maybe but at the same time then you'd have to couple it with a ban on selling new stuff because what happens a lot of times with gun buybacks is people bring in crummy crappy old guns they turn them in they get the money and then they use that money to buy new better guns so i mean you'd have to couple it with a a ban on the sale of new type of firearms like that but unless you're going to do something to try to get those 
20 million guns that are already in circulation off the street, seems to me you're, you're not going to be accomplishing anything. And is that really practical? And, and the reason I ask this is a, a lot of times we talk about things in theory. I'm frustrated by I'm frustrated by the murders. I'm frustrated by the crime. And, and I hear people just talking about all sorts of stuff without thinking about real world stuff. I want to talk about real world things that we can do over the course of the next couple months to try to make streets safer, to try to prevent these mass killings. And I understand in theory, well, let's ban these type of firearms. Well, tell me how you're going to do that. Let's talk to Julie. Julie, you're on WTMJ. You you kind of basically just said what I was telling um, the person on the phone mm-hmm. as far as it doesn't make sense to me because to your point it's point zero 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 one percent I didn't hear that until after I talked to him but at the end of the day you've got a, a, a person who's got a mental illness and they if they didn't have the semiotic weapon they can go online and, and learn how to create a bomb and do whatever they need to do there you have the criminal aspect of it where we're not punishing them and putting them to your point in jail who drives through a parade in Waukesha we're not addressing those issues and only in America do we punish the law abiding citizens and not the yeah. criminals yeah that's how i i see it yeah now if if you if there thanks to call julie i mean if there if there are reasonable things that you can do to prevent the dangerously mentally ill people from getting access to weapons of mass destruction, whether it's semi-automatic rifles or pipe bombs or whatever, I think that that's the stuff that you have to, to look at. And I think that's the conversation you have. I really do believe, though, it starts with the whole concept of let, let's we, we need and I, I agree with the governor of Texas to the extent where he's talking about, hey, we we've got to do better with identifying and getting these people who are potentially dangerously mentally ill. We need to do a better job of intervening in the beginning before it is that they end up acting out. And if there's things we can do to make it more difficult for them to get these instrumentalities that they're going to act out with, I, I don't I don't care where you are, right or left or in the middle politically, I think you should be in support of that. But that's why I want to have conversations, realistic conversations about things that you can do now in America. And if we want to have this conversation, you want to say, well, we, we shouldn't be able to own semi-automatic rifles. Okay, tell me how you're going to define that. And then tell me how we're going to get those 20 million weapons out of firearms out of the hands of the people who legally own them. Again, the vast majority of whom are not using them to commit crimes. Let's uh, take a quick break. We'll be back with more calls in just a moment. Here's a text. Jeff, I'm the former United States Marine recruiter for Littleton High Schools during the Columbine incident. I have lived in the state of Wisconsin for 11 years. I legally own a pre-ban law enforcement and military M4 AR-15 rifle. If the federal government were to do exactly what you suggested, which would be mandatory turn-in confiscation of guns, I would be the first in line. Hmm, interesting. I, I don't... I, I think that's probably a minority position there. The, the other thing is, if you're, it's always difficult if you want to identify a particular type of firearm because, all right, we're going to the semi-automatic assault-style rifles. We're going to, to get rid of those. Okay, well, what about the the, the semi-automatic handguns that that if you, twenty million of the AR-15 style rifles? Well, I'll, I'll pull up the numbers, but it's it's tens of millions of more of that of people who like me own own a handgun, a semi-automatic pistol. And, and yeah, you can limit the size of the magazines, but then you just take, if you want to commit one of these crimes, you, you take eight or nine or ten magazines with you. So then do we outlaw those type of firearms as well? Where, where do you stop, and is it practical? That's the fundamental question. Waterstone Bank and WTMJ have once again partnered to recognize the heroes in our local community. Please join WTMJ's Steve Scafidi all week as he honors police officers, firefighters, health care providers, and countless others who work every day to protect our families. This week, Steve recognizes five fearless individuals during Hero Week. Tune in every day during the 11 o'clock hour to hear from one of our winners. It's Waterstone Bank's Salute to Service on WTMJ. All right, again, if you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner 620. I've got a number of different thoughts that we've been kind of touching on over the course of the last hour and a half, and I, I've shared some of them. But here's here's another one. And, and by the way, I I am as frustrated as everybody else is with the, the the ongoing levels of violence. And it's not just the school shootings. If you're a regular listener to this program, like I say, you know, I'm I'm frustrated with the fact that 
You know, any given day in the city of Milwaukee, 25 cars get stolen. And actually, over the weekend, it was more than that. I'm frustrated with the fact that we're pushing, once again, all-time record homicides, that the crime is out of control, that yesterday you had another person fleeing from the police who hit and killed an innocent person. All these are incredible frustrations, along with the, yes, you have another one of these mass homicides that are there. And, and I don't know that there's any magic bullet that stops any of them. But I, I think we need to start waking up and, and dealing with, with things. And I don't know that there's any particular solution that's practical that you can come up with stops the stuff. But I do think that there are things that you need to consider. And I think some of the people, as I've been saying, who are hardcore Second Amendment folks, you, you need to recognize the Second Amendment isn't absolute. And you need to think, OK, well, maybe maybe could things be better if we raise the le- age to legally own a firearm from you know, 18 to 21. Would, would that really be the end of of the world? You know, those are the types of things you have to look at. And people, I, I think on, on the left, the people who hate guns, the anti-gun folks, need to understand the, the practicality of things. 20 million semi-automatic firearms in this country, just rifles, how, as a practical matter, are you going to get them out of people's hands? Are you really going to outlaw them? Are you going to uh, change the Second Amendment? Well, good luck with any of that. That's sort of this kind of theoretical pie in the sky. Let's sit around and have a debating society discussion that does nothing to really minimize the likelihood of one of these mass shootings happening again. Which brings me to what I want to discuss now. The the shooter yesterday, as horrible as it was, and it was horrible, would have been even worse were it not for the intervention of law enforcement and armed law enforcement personnel that that ended up taking him down. So, and if if he had not been stopped, he would have killed other people. The the Buffalo shooting situation a couple weeks ago, same thing. Were it not for the presence of law enforcement, this guy would have gone somewhere else and would have continued shooting. Now, in Wisconsin, we have had a couple of large school districts, in my opinion, um, solely in the interest of political correctness, no other reason at all, who've made the decision that they want police officers out of schools. As a matter of fact, I've got a link to this. You can follow me on Twitter, at Jeff Wagner 620 um, The Madison and Milwaukee school districts, over the course of the last couple years, have removed school resource officers from the, the schools. In Madison in particular, this was viewed as this incredible progressive thing because, well, you know, we we have students here who view the police as an occupying force, and we don't want the police in our schools because they might serve to intimidate this type of student or that type of student. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. In the interest of, again, trying to have reasonable discussions about this, can't we all agree that that school resource officers are a good thing? I mean, seriously, the, the idea of, look, and, and you never want to have a school that has this particular situation. But at the same time, now, I think there's all sorts of reasons you can argue to have police officers in the schools. I, I think it, it, it helps a, as a liaison for the, the high school kids, for example, to see the officers or the middle school kids, to see the officers in a different sort of context than when they're, when they're just being stopped on, on the street or after they've run through a red light or something like that. I, I think that interaction helps you police, and I, I think it, it supports police community relations. But if nothing else, I mean, doesn't the presence of armed police officers in the school, doesn't it serve as, number one, a possible deterrent for a school shooting situation? And number two, even if it's not a deterrent, you've got somebody on the scene who's in a position to immediately respond when you have something like this. Will that stop you know, school shootings? No, it, it won't. I'm not naive enough to believe that. But could it make have the potential for minimizing the the problems and the, the loss of life? Absolutely. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is it time to say to the school board, say, for example, in Milwaukee and Madison, you know, let, let's knock off the political correctness and let's knock off the, the cops are the enemy sort of approach and let's recognize that for a variety of reasons, starting with school safety, having school resources officers on the grounds of school 
is a good thing. 855-616-1620. And I believe the vast majority of people, even in the People's Republic of Madison and even in the city of Milwaukee, would support having officers in schools for a variety of reasons. But if nothing else, if nothing else, you know, doesn't, when we see what can still happen in schools, isn't having an officer on site, isn't that a good idea? 855-616-1620, we discuss. 855-616-1620, which is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, in, in Madison and Milwaukee, the school boards, in, in a nod to political correctness, we don't want cops in the school, the kids are going to feel intimidated, they made the decision to pull school resource officers out. I think, I thought at the time, that was an incredibly dumb decision. I think... It has been proven to be an incredibly dumb decision for a variety of reasons. But if nothing else, from a school security measure, doesn't it, it, it's not a magic bullet, no pun intended. It doesn't guarantee school safety. But if you have a, a school resource officer who is a sworn police officer who knows how to use a firearm on the premises, doesn't it minimize, not eliminate, but doesn't it minimize the potential for this sort of thing to happen? 855-616-1620. Let's start with Tom in Brookfield. Tom, you're first. Good afternoon. Hi, good afternoon. What do you think? Um, yeah, I Googled on the Internet, and there are 87,500 elementary schools, public and private, in the United States. Um, and we have not had a mass murder at an elementary school in 20 years with Sandy Hook. A mass murder is three or more people being killed at once. So the odds are two divided by 87,500, which is extremely slim. You, all, you also, I have, I have good friends that are school teachers, and a mass murder occurs within three minutes. It's all over with. You have to have, you'd have to have a security guard at every entrance because a mass murder could enter. So you're talking about, you know, there's maybe five or six entrances at schools, and there's 87,000 schools. Um, for the purpose of mass murder, the odds are just so slim. I mean, fortunately. So you, so you, your and suggestion would be do nothing. What? Do nothing. Well, no, I think we we do need to do some of the gun control. And I was talking about at least to reduce the number of guns. Try something. I mean, I, I, the other thing I can tell you is trying to do something as far as mental illness is not going to work. I, I lived next door for 13 years, um, two, two houses down from the man that committed the largest mass murder in Wisconsin to date at Sheraton. He was 42 years old. He never sought mental health help. The shooter in Texas uh, that just committed the mass murder, he never sought mental health uh, help. And you, you're not, you're not going to, you know, the, I heard the governor give the speech on your, your show, and that's what he talked about is mental health. Mm-hmm. And people know mental health is available. They're, that's not, and I mean, it's not just mental illness. It's just evil. Just like these people that are stealing these cars, these teenagers, it's, it's also just pure evil. But you're not you're not going to get you're not going to reduce this with mental health um, well, issues. Well, well, uh, Tom, I guess where I did, where I disagree with you. I mean, thanks for where I disagree with you is if you've got. And I don't want to get too far afield on this, but yes, you're, you're right. There's some people who never seek mental health treatment, and you know, afterwards they say, "Oh, he seemed like such a nice guy. We had we had no idea he was going to act out like that." The best example of that might have been the guy who was involved a few years ago in the the mass shooting at Mandalay Bay, where he went up on like the 33rd or whatever floor he was on and shot down at that that country western concert that was going on. But a, a lot of people they might not have sought mental health treatment, but it's painfully aware to people around them, say their family members, say co-workers, say teachers, whatever, that, that there's there's all sorts of issues that are there. Part of the problem, in my opinion, in Wisconsin, when it comes to dealing with the dangerously mentally ill, is we have all these rules that are in place that say, well, it's very difficult not impossible, very difficult to intervene until somebody demonstrates that they are a danger to themselves or others. Well, you know, that means that a lot of times you have to wait till they act out before you do something, and by then it's too late. Now, as to your point about statistically, well, you know, other than Sandy Hook, you know, there, there's no shootings like that. Well, okay, statistically, if you want to make that argument, considering the number of high schools that are out there, the number of mass shootings statistically at a high school is, is negligible, but that doesn't mean that we don't want to or shouldn't do things which have the potential at least for deterring them. And by the way, I don't think that the justification for school resource officers is exclusively as a deterrent. Um, and, and as far as like, 
you know, guards on all the doors and stuff. That's why this this isn't 1975 anymore. And I think it's a fair question. How did the shooter get in? Are these doors left unlocked? I mean, that's that's to me one of the big mysteries that are there because normally you know at, at schools there, there's only they don't have doors that are that are open it's not like when i went to school in the 70s and open campuses i mean normally this stuff is, is locked but again i i'm not saying the school resource officers are the this is going to stop these shootings but it seems to me that whether it's a mass shooter or whether it's just some kid that brings a gun to school and wants to act out, or, you know, whether it's people that get involved in a fight. These are all sorts of reasons why having a police officer on the scene, I would argue, um, you know, makes a lot of sense. Let's talk to Mike in Illinois. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon, Jeff. How are you? Good. What do you think? I agree with you 100%. I mean, it makes it doesn't matter that there was only two out of so many. It doesn't matter. It would help. And as you said, it's not just for shootings. It's for any, you know, problem that arises at the school. These are trained individuals to help in these situations. I There's many tools, you know, or many ideas, you know, to help with this, you know, the gun problem um, in schools, you know, security, um, you know, different laws for, you know, gun ownership and um, things like that. But this is just an easy thing to do. And it's to the detriment, in my opinion, of school districts that don't use this resource. Yeah, yeah. No, thanks to call, Mike. And, and also, I mean, if you look at the justification, it's it's because, for example, in Madison, you, you have some people who are cop haters. That That's pure and simple. Oh, the police are an occupying force. Oh, the, the, the students are scared of having police there, and they're intimidated. Well, that's... that. That's going to be a problem because what you want to do, and that's what I think one of the great advantages of school resource officers are, as I was saying earlier, it, it helps it helps humanize that the, the police officer interacts with the students, that the students get to see the police officer in a context other than, I don't know, when they're out stealing cars and getting arrested or things like that. It, it just it puts a different perspective on that. I've been a big believer in this forever. And look, the, the trend, like in Madison and Milwaukee, to get rid of school resource officers, it, it kind of goes back to, uh, again, some of the stuff with the start of the social justice movement where there were some people who wanted to believe and convince everybody that the cops are all evil and they're out to put this type of person or that type of person in jail or whatever. And I, I just, this is that's a bad attitude to go through life with. And I think school resource officers have a lot to do with it. Now, I, I don't, again, I don't suggest that if you had a school office, resource officer on the scene yesterday, it would have automatically stopped what happened. It's all going to be dependent on circumstances. But having somebody in a school in a position to intervene I- immediately when something happens, to me, that's, that is a good thing. It is a positive thing. And, and yes, I mean, thankfully, we don't have this stuff happening every day, but that, that's, that's a good thing as well. But that doesn't mean that there's not a value to school resource officers. Because if you want to argue, well, we, you know, the school shootings just don't happen statistically that much. Well, I mean, that's a justification for saying, well, then should we do nothing? And I don't think anybody would argue that we should do nothing. Let's talk to Nancy. Nancy, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. This is kind of long-winded, but um, I lived in Texas from 1985 to 1995, and we lived 20 miles west of Houston. In our neighborhoods there in um, Katy, we had constables that patrolled the neighborhood. And um, there's like four, four neighborhoods we 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 paid for the constables he patrolled. He happened to be in the neighborhood where the elementary school was. I was up at school at the time um, volunteering, and um, there was a burglary in the neighborhood, and they shot our constable. And um, so the school, like, immediately locked down. The blinds closed. The lights went out. The doors all locked. This is in, like, 1990. Um, After that happened... Thank God nobody was hurt but the constable. And mm-hmm. after that happened, they fortified our schools. So there was no way you could get into school without being buzzed in. Um, I know recently here in Burlington, we use government money with our elementary schools so that you cannot get into school without being 
buzzed into the front entrance as security. I'm, I, I, mm-hmm. I thank God for our constable right. that what happened in the neighborhood didn't spread to the school. Um, but I think having resource officers is, is a good idea. And I think all elementary schools should have more security that you cannot just mm-hmm. rush the front door and get in and kill. Yeah, I don't, Nancy. You're never, never going to get assault rifles off the street. Never. Yeah, that, I mean, thanks. Well, as a practical matter, and I, I guess I, I don't know enough about, and I, I think we still don't have enough details about this to know what the security was at the school and and how they can get in. And I, I mean, I think, like I say, it, it's unfortunately in today's world, it's completely different than it was when I was in school because. I'm used to like the open door. I, when I went to high school, I used to always go in this side door. I lived about three blocks away from where I went to high school. I'd walk to school. You just kind of go in this side door. Nowadays, I, that that just I, I know that stuff doesn't happen. Those doors aren't unlocked, or and, and they shouldn't be unlocked. And you know, typically, if you have to be buzzed in, so I don't know exactly what the details were about how the shooter ended up getting in. I, I agree with you. I mean, I think every school in the country today is probably reassessing their security measures, and that's an, that is an appropriate type of thing. But I guess I go back to my basic premise of this. I think to the extent there are school resource officers available, I I don't see it as a bad thing at all. And and believe me, I, I understand that there was a quick police response in this school. I understand that they had all sorts of security measures that were in place. I, I acknowledge that this isn't going to stop every situation of this happening, but at the same time, that doesn't mean it, it's not a good idea, something to do, does it? Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. All right, let, let's, let's move on from the, the tragedy, the massacre that, that happened yesterday in Texas, and let's talk about yet another day on the mean streets of Milwaukee, another reckless driver, another person fleeing from police, and unfortunately another innocent person dead. If you haven't heard this story, here, here's what happened. Um, about 6 p.m. yesterday, uh, around it started... Well, it started on like 37th and and Sheridan. And what happened is deputies saw a car that was driving recklessly northbound on, on Sherman, just south of Hampton. So it's driving recklessly. The deputies attempt to stop the car. And nowadays what happens is, of course, nobody stops for the police. They, they take off. So the cop, the car decides to run. Deputies, this is sheriff's deputies, begin to pursue the vehicle, which was speeding and running red lights at the intersection of Sherman and Hampton and Sherman and Villard. The sheriff's deputies are following. They follow for about four tenths of a mile, and then apparently they bang in. They, they terminate the the chase because they they they. This is the sheriff's deputies hit hit a parked car. Nobody injured in the parked car. So shortly after this, deputies were informed by a passing citizen of a serious crash um, several blocks away. What happens is deputies found that the suspect vehicle, this is the vehicle that was running from them, had struck another vehicle, which was occupied with um, three people in the car. And... um, one of the innocent people in the car is uh, killed as a result of this. A woman and a one-year-old baby were also injured, but they are expected to survive. And again, as frequently happens in these situations, the person responsible for this all, the one who took off from the cops, the one who hit the car and killed the man, he, he runs. He flees, and at least as of the start of this program, he continued to be in the wind. But the police say they they know who he is, so I'm confident that they will end up catching him. But as a result of this, you have a 40-year-old man who's dead, who did nothing, absolutely nothing, but be driving with, I don't know if it's his wife, I presume it's his wife, and, and a baby girl who are in the car, and you have this guy who's, again, running from the police, no regard for life at all, no regard for anybody else, and somebody is dead. All right, now, this, I guess if you want to look at it this one way, this was connected to a police chase. 
Now, the county sheriffs, what they did is they saw the car driving recklessly. They saw the car, and I presume it means speeding and going through red lights. They started the chase and you know chased for a, a four-tenths of a mile when ultimately they terminated the chase because the sheriff's deputy, again, hit, hit this parked car. The driver of the vehicle, the fleeing vehicle, continued to drive in a reckless fashion and ended up hitting this other car down the line. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, let's let's put this all in perspective. There is nobody to blame for what happened other than the reckless driver who was, for whatever reason, fleeing police. When that person is caught, I hope they are prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law. I hope that whatever bail is set for them is of a sufficient level that they're probably not going to be able to make it. And I hope when they are convicted of killing this 40-year-old man, they go to prison for the rest of their natural life. That's what I hope ends up happening here. But I guess as we try to look at these circumstances, and I got a couple emails from this or texts earlier on asking if I was going to talk about this, because the question people ask is, well, do you think the county sheriffs have any responsibility for this? I mean, after all, they started the chase. You know, they saw the guy driving recklessly. They tried to pull him over. He wouldn't pull over and took off. Should they have chased in the first place or should they have just let him go? This was the rationale that former Mayor Tom Barrett and former Police Chief Ed Flynn adopted a number of years ago where they, they told Milwaukee police that you, you shouldn't chase because they had a couple instances where people who were fleeing from the police hit innocent people and ended up killing them. So the decision was made, we're not going to go after people. We'll let them drive away. All right, it's happened again. Should police just let the reckless drivers, let the speeders, let the crazy people, should they let them go? Because essentially you know that if you try to pull them over, chances are they're going to run from you. Should we just let them go? 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss in a moment. Eight five five six one six one six twenty, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. So yesterday, Milwaukee County Sheriffs see a guy driving recklessly. They begin the pursuit. They ended up terminating it after four block, after four tenths of a mile. But by that time, the guy has gotten away. He's been blowing through different red lights, presumably at a high rate of speed. We we don't have the traffic reconstruction information right now, but th- this this. Reckless driving ends when he slams into another car, kills a 40-year-old man. There's a 43-year-old woman and a 1-year-old child in the car as well. Thankfully, those two are are not seriously injured, but the 40-year-old guy is dead. The reckless driver is running away. So the question is, is this could this have been stopped if the authorities hadn't decided to chase him in the first place? Bob in Waukesha. Bob, you're on WTMJ. Yeah, Jeff. I'm sorry, you're you're very misinformed. Well, don't be sorry. What am I misinformed about? Uh, have you ever if have you ever explored the template the International Associated uh, Police and Chiefs uh, put forward regarding pursuit policies? I understand and what. Flynn, and, okay, and Chief Flynn did not. His policy was not a no-chase policy. You continue to say that. It was a no-chase policy unless you had probable cause to believe that the person had involved was involved in a crime of violence. That's what it was. And most, guess, most I, times the cops don't know. Bob, I, you know, I just... First of all, Ed Flynn and and Tom Barrett, that was what their policy was. It had to be involved in a crime that the person who was involved in actively committing a felony or had been involved in some sort of crime of violence, which is why they ended up. This is what it be, why it became such a disaster in Milwaukee, because people would take off. You'd have people that were dealing drugs, but the cops couldn't didn't have probable cause to believe that, in fact, was the case. And so they, they would run. You'd have the reckless drivers that would run and the police wouldn't have any basis to pursue them. This was a disaster in the city of Milwaukee for five years. It led to people just simply understanding we can commit crimes and we can take off on the police because the bottom line is most of the time the police 
don't know why it is that somebody is running from them. They see somebody that's driving recklessly. They put on the bubble lights. They try to pull them over. The person takes off. They don't know why they're running. They don't know if they've got a body in the trunk. They don't know if they've got illegal guns. They don't know anything. All they know is that they're trying to get this car off the street. So, yeah, that's what Flynn's policy was. It was a disaster. That's what Tom Barrett's policy was. It was a disaster, and in my opinion, it led to the increase in crime. It led to the increase in reckless driving. It led to the carnage that was on the roads and continues to be on the roads because the word still hasn't gotten out. So I, I go back to what happened yesterday, which I guess is the subject of this. You're a sheriff's deputy. You see people driving in a reckless sort of fashion. What are you supposed to do? Just end up you know, letting them go? I, 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 that's to me that is absolutely absurd now in every police department what they tell people is you do not chase if the circumstances behind the chase are such that you are going to put an unreasonable risk of danger on either the officers or other people it's why back when downtown was crowded you wouldn't necessarily if you have a car that wants to drive down the sidewalks of wisconsin avenue at three o'clock in the afternoon because they're trying to get away well okay you, you don't chase in that particular circumstance but at the same time if you think that just letting people drive away is going to solve this problem and I would add with the one with yesterday, we don't even know that it was necessarily the police chase that caused it. Keep in mind, the car was driving recklessly in the first place, which is what inspired the police to have to chase uh, to be begin with. At the end of the day, you know, if you want to find blame here for people who are, again, trying to say, oh, this is the fault of the cops. Look, l- let's put blame where the blame is. It's on the person who was running away from the police at a high rate of speed who had no regard for the life of anyone else. And this is what goes on in the city of Milwaukee on an almost daily basis. And I guess my point would be to suggest that, oh, let's let them go. It'll be safer if we just let them drive away and maybe we'll find them later. Maybe we won't. Well, a lot of times also they're they're driving stolen cars to begin with, which is one of the reasons why they're running from the cops. I mean, good luck trying to find them. Let's talk to Eric. Eric, you're on WTMJ. Hi. Hi, Eric. How are you doing? I'm good. What do you think? I am just, well, absurd with um, the things that are going on in the country here, but they're blaming guns for an individual for what unfortunately happened in Texas here. And just listen to your conversation about this 40-year-old man who lost his life, but then they should blame the vehicle. Because it's the person operating this piece of equipment. Right. In an illegal fashion. Now, thanks to the caller. It's, look, this is, the bottom line is you have a, a certain subset of the population that has a complete and total disrespect for the law and disrespect for their fellow man and woman, woman. And they just don't care. And they're willing to run, and they don't care what's going to happen. And as a result of that, you really have two choices. Can you try to pull people over? Can you try to catch them? And, of course, the other thing is once you catch them, you know, can – are they going to be held responsible for what they've done? And I acknowledge that that's a whole separate conversation. But it starts with catching them in the first place. And this idea that some people have that we should just let dri- people drive away. Hey, driving 80 miles an hour, you've just blown through three red lights. Well, we're just going to let you drive off. We're not even going to try to pull you over. Oh, okay, good Good luck with that. And then how do you explain when four blocks later, even if you don't chase, four blocks later the idiot has run through a red light and hit and killed three people and then it turns out that you didn't even try to pull them over i mean the police in these situations are in an absolute no win situation and going back to what we started at the top of this we saw this play out in milwaukee a number of years ago where we had the quote-unquote no chase policy which significantly hamstrung the milwaukee police as to their ability to go after people who were ignoring them and fleeing from them it was a complete and total disaster and we, we simply can't go back to that 
There are almost 650,000 people whose lives are touched by the Wisconsin Retirement System, which covers employees of the UW system, local police, firefighters, and publicly employed teachers. Join Annex Wealth Management and our very own Steve Scafidi for a special webinar, Understand Your WRS Potential. Retirement planning can be complex. What does your most recent statement mean for your plan? No matter your age or retirement status, learn more as we walk through pension scenarios and answer WRS questions. To listen to the free webinar, all you have to do is go to our website, WTMJ.com. Brewer Baseball coming up in just a couple minutes. I, I have one other thought. Actually, somebody had texted me this or emailed me this at the start of the show, and it's it's been kind of in the back of my mind as we, we've spent the last couple hours talking about, in large part, you know what happened in Texas yesterday. It was an interesting observation, and maybe we'll open up the phone lines tomorrow to discuss it. But one of the points the, the person made was, when you look back at, at all the mass shootings in, in this country, whether it's in grocery stores or in nightclubs or in schools, there, there is one common characteristic that, that, that flows through, if not all of them, almost all of them. And, and it's, not, it's, not, it's not the race of, of the shooter. It's not the age of the shooter necessarily. It's the gender. I, I, I've been trying to think of one of these mass shootings that involved a woman. It's almost if, and, and maybe there's a situation that I'm not just I'm not remembering, but it's almost exclusively men. It's exclusively, at least to my record, it's it's men. It's young men. It's middle-aged men. Sometimes it's older men. It's white men. It's black men. It's Hispanic men. But it's 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 men. It's in some cases, it's heterosexual men. In some cases, it's gay men. But it's almost always men. You never hear one of these stories involving women. And again, maybe somebody will text me and will remind me of one that's not coming to mind. But that's certainly that's the unicorn. It, it's it's males that are involved in this, which, again, I, I, I'm just I, I don't know why there's a what that is because if we're talking about for example you know firearms well you know women have the same access to firearms that the men do but you don't see the women that are being involved in in the shooting so you you wonder if it's something culturally about the way we are raising you know children or whatever it is and i'm i'm really going to think about that maybe we'll we'll do a topic on it but i mean i just it it's always or if not always, it is almost always men that are involved in the, the shootings, which, again, raise the, this other fundamental question there when we talk about, you know, mental health and things like this. Why is it that you have, why is it that you, I'm sure there's lots of disaffected, you know, women out there with mental health issues, but you don't see the story of them, you know, getting a firearm and getting involved in a shooting at a school or getting involved in a shooting at a bar or a grocery store or whatever. It almost always comes back to men. Again, I, I don't have an answer, but I am going to kind of think about it over the course of uh, the day and maybe we'll revisit it tomorrow.